times I'm all alone again, does anybody care? This planet's empty, I see no signs of life. Please don't tell me that the human race did not survive. There are no people in the future. There are no people. There are no people in the future. No people at all. There are no people in the future. Where did all my people go? There are no people in the future. Let me try my people call. at the end of March. We are at the end of March. It is Friday, March 31st, 2023. Welcome to Raging Chicken's Friday Politics Roundup. This is Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. Each week we break down the good, the bad, and the ugly in state and national politics. You can help support this show by becoming a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress for all the details. Five bucks a month. It's like a good beer once a month. Like, except you're investing in independent media, right? Eh, pretty cool, right? Patreon.com slash rcpress. You can also help out the show by heading over to our YouTube channel if you're not there already. Smash that subscribe button, like the stream for this show, and hit that notification bell so you know every time that we go live. And if you're one of our awesome podcast listeners, make sure to leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you listen on and leave a comment to let folks know why you like the show. Little things like this help other people find the show and expand our audience. Yes, we are pushing toward that 300 subscriber mark on YouTube, which is pretty awesome. And we're pushing up to our 400th show. 400th podcast show. Pretty crazy. Hey, everybody, you cannot let Paul Martino and his oligarch friends buy our schools and push extremist politics in our community. We're going to talk a little about this in today's show. Raging Chicken has teamed up with Levelfield to launch a truly community-rooted pact to invest in organizing, supporting local and statewide progressive candidates, and unmasking the toxic organizations injecting our communities with right-wing extremism. We're putting small-dollar donations to work to beat back the power of big money. You can get more information and drop your donation at ragingchicken.levelfield.net. Ooh, on today's show, Donald Trump. Yes, everybody, I know, I know your news feeds are already filled with it already. Donald Trump was indicted yesterday for misuse of campaign funds to pay hush money to porn star Stormy Daniels. Yes, he is the first former U.S. president to ever be charged with the crime. Now, Trump's indictment comes less than a week after he launched his presidential campaign with a large rally and speech in Waco, Texas. Now, Waco, Texas, that was the site of the 1993 raid of the militant religious Branch Davidian compound that led to the deaths of nearly 80 people. Waco, ever since then, Waco has been a rallying cry for white supremacists and the extreme right. We talk about that as a kind of choice, and uh, we're going to talk about a little book I'm reading right now, too, as well, which is kind of, like, purely important right now. We also saw that 38 migrants, now there's also some reports that's still still showing 39, but the most recent stuff I could find said 38. But 38 migrants were killed and 27 seriously injured in the fire at a Mexican detention center in Ciudad Juarez. It's in Mexico. The continued unjust and cruel immigration policies in the U.S., the Remain in Mexico policy, for example, helped create the condition for these deaths. 
And uh, when we get to this, we're going to hear what Will Bunch had to shit say about this because Will Bunch, because as usual, he's been right on the mark. And according to a new report from the Kaiser Family Foundation, about up to 15 million people are now at risk of losing health insurance as COVID-era rules that expand Medicaid and CHIP benefits are rolled back. Yep, we're just stepping back, passing the buck. People are going to get kicked off their health insurance. And a new study in the journal Nature projects that deep water currents around Antarctica could slow by 40% by 2050 if the current trajectory of climate change is not dramatically altered. A disrupted current could dramatically affect the climate, the flow of fresh water and oxygen, and the circulation of nutrients that are necessary to sustain marine life. Not just around Antarctica, but throughout the oceans. Some first graders in Waukesha, Wisconsin, won't be singing Rainbow Land by Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton. Now, they were supposed to sing a song which is about acceptance, coming together, and loving one another at their spring conference. Our concert. How awesome is that? Why was it canceled? Well, you guessed it. School board administrators concluded the song violated the district's new controversial issues in the classroom policy initiated by a new right-wing dominated school board. Sound familiar? Yes, this is a national playbook. This is what we've been talking about forever. This is not just Bucks County. This is not just down the street from you. This is not just your local school. This is a national coordinated effort. (laughs) This is nuts. And this week's horrific mass shooting in Nashville is, of course, being used by right-wing politicians and pundits to stoke anti-trans hate. Yep. Yeah, but it's a white kid, white straight kid, white supremacist straight kid that heads into a school and shoots everybody up. Oh no, they're just like, oh, we gotta, oh, we gotta find the, you know, we gotta culprit, and we gotta find the the health, uh, uh, mental health issues, and and all this other stuff. No, 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 it's not kind of like anti-white hate. We don't get anti-white hate then, do we? No. But in this case, because. It is apparent that apparently, according to reporting, according to information we're seeing, according to what the police said, that this is a trans man who carried out this uh, shooting at a uh, Christian school in Nashville. So the right, of course, no consistency whatsoever because it's never been about consistency about them. It's been about hate and power, and it's about it. Anyways... A little closer to home today, um, we'll be re- uh, new reporting by Maddie Hanna the Philadelphia Inquirer shows that Paul Martino's PAC, the Back to School USA PAC, is gearing up for the culture war in the next round of elections. The PAC's website says it will be, quote, taking the fight directly to the liberal teachers unions, special interest groups that are responsible for indoctrinating our children. Yes, indeed. The Back to School USA PAC is planning on holding in- This is wonderful. This is just like... Uh, is, uh, is planning on holding an April 7th fundraiser at Mar-a-Lago with the right-wing founder of Project Veritas, James O'Keefe. There you have it. There you have it. And newly elected representative Summer Lee is wasting no time in making her voice heard. Summer Lee is a co-sponsor of the newly introduced Assault Weapons Ban of 2023. She took to the House floor this week and tore it up. Yep, she's not sitting, waiting her turn. Nope, get right to business. Way to go, Summer. 
At PA Senators Bob Casey and John Fetterman and Ohio Senator Sherrod Brown introduced the Railway Accountability Act this week, which will help prevent the kind of disasters that we witness in East Palestine, Ohio. Now, is it everything that needs to happen? No, but it is uh, it's building on a Railway Safety Act that was already passed, um, but putting in uh, you know some teeth. A coalition of more than two dozen environmental, faith, and business and healthcare groups sent a letter to Governor Josh Shapiro this week, urging him to keep Pennsylvania's commitment to the regional gas, uh, regional greenhouse gas initiative, as part of Shapiro's stated commitment to getting the PA to net zero emissions by 2050. That's that coalition of states. I remember for the longest time, Pennsylvania uh, Governor Wolf was reluctant to uh, have Pennsylvania join the other states around us. Uh, in basically saying, hey, let's work together to bring down greenhouse gas emissions. And that was the reason why they started doing that is in the face of a lack of federal action. When we, they know, everybody knows, right? Everybody knows that we're facing a climate crisis, so we got to do this. The, the, um, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative is basically, it's a market-based strategy, right? Um, it's a cap and trade stuff and all this. Again, there's real limits, right, in terms of what that will do, but it will be a significant step forward Right, and getting kind of regional commitments. And now with additional attacks on, um, uh, you know, any kind of action on climate change, um, I think these, this coalition of organizations is sensing some waffling on the part of Shapiro. We want to make sure they're going to sure up his commitments. And Temple University's president, Jason Wingard, steps down after an authorization of no confidence vote by the Temple's faculty union, a strike by graduate students, which we talked about, and the murder of Temple University Police Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald. Yes, he's only there for two years, and now he is out. And of course, the big news today. Yes, the Dungeons and Dragons movie, Honor of Bung Thieves, hits the big screen today. That's right, today! today today yes indeed i'm very very excited about this uh love to hear if anybody else is planning on doing this and look i'm going to say this again i put i periodically i i say to people on my podcast i say to people on social media look i would love to do like a a kind of a raging chicken kind of like led or inspired or connected DD campaign i think it'd be so freaking awesome I run right now. I run it. I'm running a campaign with uh, my my brother-in-law, my kids, and my niece. Right, and uh, and I would love to kind of like kind of expand that. But you know, it's it's always tricky getting everybody together and all this kind of stuff. But we could do an online one, or for example, if you're uh, you know if if say you as an adult play, but you, know, you have kids who play, or maybe or you don't play, but your kid plays, and want to be a totally kid-friendly. Totally kind of um, just kind of joyful, totally within the realm of progressive politics, <laughs> right? That's one of the things that I could bring to the table, right? Um, which is great. I got some great ideas from like some little kind of short campaign. So you can always hit me up, go to ragingchickenpress at gmail.com and let me know if you're all at all interested. I'd love to hear from you. Anyway, for more PA Progressive Talk, tune in to the Rick Smith Show's live stream, 9 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get your streams, and subscribe to his podcast, wherever you get his podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Head on over to ricksmithshow.com for the latest across all his platforms. And please check out the Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast, the amazing PA women stirring the political cauldron behind this podcast, Rock the House, and they know where the bodies are buried. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at, at the Night Caucus, that's at the Night Caucus on Twitter, and subscribe to their podcast on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcast. You know, I got an email, I should just say, I should just say this, I got an email from, uh, from a listener um, 
who uh, was asking me just a little bit more about Sisters of the Night Caucus podcast and and kind of like what distinguishes that kind of stuff. I'd say, this is what I'll say. When I say that, you know, the amazing uh, PA women storing a political call behind this podcast, Rock the House, and know where the bodies are buried. These are the, the women that run, that kind of run this podcast, right, are, uh, ha- are you know, are kind of like insider advocates, if you will. Um, and I don't, I, like, I, I don't mean to say like, you know, they're like, insiders in the sense that they're just like oh we're gonna do whatever the democrats say no no no. these are these are women who are fighting the good fight fighting it hard and at the level of kind of like like the county level like the regional level right also in terms of state legislation and so on like this so if you listen to their show you're going to get folks like you're going to get more politicians on here you're going to talk to kind of different advocates and um what kind of work in harrisburg lobbying for legislation um who are running for office in um, kind of smaller locations that do not get the coverage the, um, from the you know the major media networks? That's the kind of stuff you're going to find in Sister the Night Caucus podcast, and they're fun, right? <laughs> On top of it all, they're fun, right? It's awesome. So do check them out. And if you haven't heard, the Signal is a new podcast by the Bucks County Beacon. The Signal is hosted by the Beacon's editor in chief, Cyril Mikaleko, and produced by yours truly. Twice a month, Cyril will shine a light on the right-wing extremist currents streaming through Bucks County and beyond. And Cyril invites guests to provide insight, analysis, and organizing solutions so we can steer the community toward calmer, saner, progressive roots. You can check out their podcast directly. Go to buckscountybeacon.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcast, just search for The Signal and Bucks County Beacon and it'll take you there. And I'll promise you this, we've got two shows coming up that are freaking awesome. Um, I'm not going to spill the beans on them now, but the next two shows are going to freaking rock. I am so absolutely thrilled. Attention all you gamers out there, The Game In, that's with two N's. The Game In is a Quaker Town-based, black family-owned gaming store. If they're friends of the show, and they've got everything from Retro N64s, the latest consoles, video games for all platforms, loads of collectibles, action figures, Funko Pops, walls of Funko Pops, and kids get discounts when they get A's in the report cards. How do you beat that? Check them out on their Facebook page. Follow them on Twitter at, at The Game In. That's with two N's. Got a question about a game, look for something hard to get. Shoot them a message or drop them an email at thegameinpa at gmail.com. And a special shout-out goes to Jonathan Mann, who wrote our intro song, There Are No People in the Future. Check out all his great stuff on his YouTube page and follow him on Twitter at at Dayman. That's at Dayman on Twitter. And that's, again, with two N's. And this next Monday, that would be what? Oh, my God. We're already in April. Yeah! April 3rd. Uh, Monday, April 3rd at 7 p.m., I welcome Karen Faradin back to the show. Karen, of course, is the founder of Burke's Gas Truth Truth, and has been, uh, you know, one of the kind of founding members of the Climate Convergence of PA um, and a long kind of time activist when it comes to climate issues. Um, given everything that's in the news around climate, um, given the fact that we've really got to step up our efforts here in Pennsylvania to ensure that we meet the goals uh, to get net zero by 2050. Uh, Karen's going to be on talking about all that and more Monday, April 3rd at 7 p.m. Yeah, so look, everybody, if you want a progressive future, we need progressive media. Support Pull No Punches, homegrown progressive media today. Become a patron for Raging Chicken for as little as five bucks a month. Simply go to patreon.com slash rcpress. We're here for the fight, but we need you. Become a patron for the price of a good beer once a month. Help keep the media in the movement, the movement in the media. Become a patron for as little as five bucks a month. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress today. Look at that. I thought I was going to stay within my intro music time, but I didn't again. 
So the question is, do I become more disciplined and make sure that I'm uh, just reading things and not commenting on them um, so I stay within that? Or do I just kind of, you know, expand the music a little bit <laughs> to accommodate my blatherworthiness or whatever it might be? Um, we shall see. We shall see. Um, yeah, it's been uh, quite a week uh, once again. I mean, the big news, of course, is that, you know, uh, Donald Trump was indicted yesterday. Um, he's expected to be uh, kind of make an appearance in court sometime next week. Um, I'm very, very uh, cautious about saying what is going to happen when, in part because uh, most of the information that's out there is sheer conjecture, <laughs> right? Um, people kind of guessing about what he might be charged with, what that could be charged with, and all that kind of stuff. Um, the only thing that we know um, for sure right, is that he is, the grand jury sent an indictment and it has to do with the uh, hush money payments made to Stormy Daniels uh, to shut her up ahead of the, um, the 2016 election, right? That's what we know. What we suspect is going on is that it's not just, like, paying somebody money to get them to shut up by itself is not a crime, <laughs> okay? We should just be clear about that. Matter of fact, you know, the fact that, you know, you think about like this, you have like, you know, like uh, confidentiality agreements, right? NDIs, right? All this kind of uh, um, um, NDAs, right? Those kind of agreements, as messed up as those things are. But you know, all that kind of stuff, those things kind of exist. So the issue is not that he gave money, right, um, to an adult film star, right, to kind of not disclose, you know, that they had an affair to, so that his wife wouldn't get hurt. You know, I mean, why not just not have the affair, especially when your you know wife is just about to give birth to your son but that's a whole other thing um but the, the issue is is how the where the money came from right and what was the purpose of the hush money stuff right so the idea is that like it has connection directly to it was campaign funds that were used to do this right and since it was connected to campaign funds right um since it was connected to um his run for president that this basically amounted to uh, a donation and a potentially illegal donation to the campaign um, and, and a bunch of other things. So there's like, there's a potential misdemeanor charge, which has to do with um, the same things that Michael Cohen was charged to and convicted of and spent time in prison for. Um, and then there's the question of, well, if there's also it's shown this violation of federal election law, then that would be a felony, right? So we shall see, but we don't really know. And like, you know, we hear all these dates next Tuesday, he'll be in court. Yeah, you know, we've heard this. We've heard this story before. So we're going to let this stuff play out. We're going to see that kind of indictment comes down. Um, it, it's a little bit it's a little bit striking to me um, about how breathlessly uh, mainstream media is reporting on the historic nature of this. Never before has a U.S. president been right. And I guess I guess I'm. I mean, I guess I'm tired of the world uh, word unprecedented when it comes to uh, Donald Trump, but more so, um, the uh, I just have an issue with the fact that I just have an issue with the fact that um, one where one where somehow reaffirming that Donald Trump is an aberration, 
right, in the American history. Because by, by saying that, never before has a former U.S. president been charged with crime. Okay, that's a true statement, right? But that is, like, not unusual in other countries, right? The fact of the matter is, is that we've had presidents behaving badly lots of times throughout our history. What separates us from other developed democracies, right, is the fact we've chosen not to hold those people accountable, for some kind of mythos about the untouchability of the king, right? So, you know, and again, look, I understand. You don't. You never want to use the courts, right, to kind of go after political opponents for the purposes of winning elections, right? That's a problem, right? I don't care who it is, that's a problem, right? But that's not what this is about, right? It's about something else. So if a president, like, or former president commits crimes... They should be held accountable. I don't see why this is a big controversial thing that is getting blowing up all over the media, right? I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, let's mark it as historical. I, I was listening to um, um, the uh, Chris Hayes show, uh, listening to it because I was listening in the podcasting, and I had to shut it off halfway through for a couple of reasons. Um, one, it's just I, I just I just can't. But one, um, they interview um, Chris Hayes interviews. Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm not going to know her name, but she was a, um, a correspondent for for NBC who has been covering uh, the Trump trial. And I'm walking my dog, listening to this on my podcast, and what she's talking about is like, just imagine, Chris, just imagine the visuals around this. I mean, we're a TV network. Imagine the visuals of a uh, uh, Trump kind of like having to be maybe even handcuffed and put into a car. I'm like. This is what news is to you? You're looking for ways of kind of creating great visuals so that you can get good ratings. I mean, this is right back to the problem that was there in 2016. Right? Looking to capitalize on this for the purpose of getting viewers. Right? And it's not exactly what she said, but that's what you're saying. You're talking about the spectacle as opposed to the content. Right? So that's one. The second one is Ari Mel Melber, right? Um, he was also interviewed. And, you know what, again, it's like this language of about, he kept on wanting to say, well, oh, Trump is nervous now, or Trump has got to be, he's got to realize a serious thing, and now he's scrambling and all this. He doesn't know that. Like, all this reporting and pontificating about what Trump is truly feeling, and now he's finally realizing the problem, this is all made-up stuff. This is people projecting onto Trump what they want him to feel, not what he actually feels. There is no reason whatsoever to believe, for example, that Trump is panicked right now. As a matter of fact, I was going to talk about this a little bit later, but I'll talk about it now because it's directly connected to what I was just saying. I just got finished reading this book called um, 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 Freedom's Dominion, right? Um, let, me, let me bring it up. because I was going to bring it up a little bit later. Um so it's a book by Jefferson Cowie, all right? He is a historian. Uh, I want to say he's at, like, Princeton or Yale or something like this. Um, but he is, uh, I'm sorry, he's at Vanderbilt, right? He is the uh, James Stallman Chair in American History at Vanderbilt University. Um, and this book is called Freedom's Dominion, uh, Freedom's Dominion, The Saga of White Resistance to Federal Power. Right, and it begins. It basically is a, a focused history around uh, um, Barber County in Alabama, right? And the focus is there in part because there were some interesting things. One, George Wallace, right, um, who um, you know, who was the 
I guess, kind of model of um, kind of, you know, the Southern racist strategy, right? The kind of arguing for segregation, the famously said segregation now, segregation today, or segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever as part of his campaign for statewide office in Barber County in Alabama. Um, and what, what Cowie argues in this, right, is, uh, is basically that what George Wallace kind of figured out and finally kind of brought together in a really concentrated way um, has long roots to it. And it has long roots to a very conflicted relationship, or I should say a very contradictory sets of meanings around the word freedom in the history of this country, right? And so on the one hand, there's that notion of freedom, which is about supporting of individual rights, the freedom of the press, right? You know, uh, the freedom to be secure in one's home, all these things that we cherish, right, for the, um, you know, for the, in the Bill of Rights, for example, or the, the, the content like expansion of the democratic franchise to more and more people, this kind of idea about inclusion and all this stuff. And that's freedom for everybody, right? Under the law, right? That we're all doing blind justice, all that kind of stuff, right? What Cowie shows is that, well, at the same time that, that there's been that version of freedom, that how we think about this, the, there's also been a version of freedom that is white freedom, right? Tanahasi Coates also talks about this, right? But what he talks about is, is, is kind of white freedom. And that white freedom is basically the freedom to dominate, right? That I am free to the degree that I can dominate others, right? That's the domination. That's the freedom of libertarians, for example. I don't want the government in here to telling me what to do because I want to be able to exploit whoever the hell I want to exploit in the terms that I want, right? It is my freedom to employ children if I want, and if the children chose to kind of, you know, become an employee, that's their choice. Freedom, right? But I get to set the terms of that. The freedom to pay what I think is worth, not what some sort of government bureaucracy tell me what's a minimum wage, right? That kind of freedom, right? And one of the things that's really important, I think, is that all, and this is not just George Wallace, but this is all demagogues, Right? don't necessarily have a problem with the government, <laughs> right, charging them with crimes. And what George Wallace did, like, famously, and was documented so well in this book, is that he basically sought out opportunities for confrontations with the federal government, an argument for states' rights and white freedom. Right. So he famously said, if the federal government tries to integrate our schools, I will stand at the, you know, at the on the steps of, you know, the University of, of Tallahassee or whatever and uh, and and stand in their way. And he did. Right. He eventually got kind of he was asked to leave and he eventually did. But he had his moment. Right. Use that as an opportunity to, like, bolster his own and shore up his base Right and bolster his own argument that, that the federal government is about tyranny. Right, and why this is important in Cowie's telling of it is because it's like, well, the tyranny 
right, that they're calling tyranny, the only time that that voting rights were ever secured, that that black people in the South ever had the measure of freedom equal to that of rights, was when the federal government sent in, whether troops or activated National Guard or all this, like, to ensure that everybody had the right to vote. The minute that the federal government, the minute they started kind of pulling away, right, is like is like when people's rights went out the window. This was true during the clearing of the um, um, the creek lands, as Cowie documents um, um, under with uh, with Jackson, right, President Jackson. I mean, before when Jackson was you know um, <clears throat> before Jackson became president, right, in his history, and it's, it's been true and kind of in uh, throughout Reconstruction. And it's also true in civil rights. It's the same thing. It's the same logic. And I kept on thinking, so I'm finishing up this book, Freedom's Dominion, and seeing what George Wallace did. We always look for these opportunities to kind of like demonstrate that the federal government is is, is tyrannical, right? And again, these people, they don't, they don't, it doesn't matter whether it's true or whether it's not, right? It's about constructing the the, the drama, right, to support this deeply embedded notion of white freedom and white supremacy, right? And the ability to have freedom to dominate, power over as a mark of freedom. And it was really clarifying for me because it's like, I'm looking for the words to try to understand those two things existing at the same time. And to understand that it's not just this individual or that individual being a hypocrite. This is deeply embedded in American culture. Right. It's not about the individual. And this is a, an important, you know, we had we had Patricia Roberts Miller on the show talking about demagoguery and democracy not too long ago. And in her thing is what she said, look, I'm interested, not I'm interested in demagogues, right, individuals, but in demagoguery. Right. The, the culture. Right. What enables it? What are the patterns of it? How does it operate and how does it work? Right. And making the point that the demagogue can never emerge unless there's a demagogic culture, right? Or it's embedded or those strains are here, right? So the point is, is that why is it these, these people going on TV, assuming that now Trump is feeling bad and now he's scared, why are they assuming that? On what basis do are making those assumptions? It's because what they think, not because what Trump thinks. If I'm Trump and I'm looking at Trump's, like his the practices, his historical practices, He's going to use his arrest and he's going to use the spectacle. Like if I was him in his like freaking messed up brain, right? There was a question, well, you know, he might be afforded the, the dignity of, uh, the dignity of not having to be in handcuffs or something like this. I don't know. I bet you guys, he and his people are sitting there being like, you know what? That might be a good look. You want to talk about the tyranny and how Joe Biden's tyrannical federal government is coming after you? Maybe you should, you know, met, let them cuff you and put you back and be yelling as they're trying to stuff you into the back of the car like, this is an outrage. This is, you know, everything he's doing, right? There's no reason to believe that this is going to, that this is somehow going to cause Trump personal pain or something like this. I mean, like, so I just understand that kind of analysis I find so freaking horrible. And, like, forgetful of, like, what we've just been through over the past, like, decade. <laughs> right? So, whatever. So, that's going to happen. Um, and if you want to have more proof about this, this is why I put these two stories next to one another. Because last Saturday, Saturday, I believe, right? Last Saturday, 
he had a, a rally, like his first like official campaign rally. He's got his presidential thing out there. And yes, I will grant you that, yes, he probably launched his campaign this early in part because he's trying to kind of mingle this stuff up with, you know, with his uh, political campaign, making the argument that, yes, 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 all that is true, right? But what's more telling for me is not just that he did that for legal reasons. He went to Waco, right? Waco is like this iconic moment for white supremacists and, and militias in this country, right? Let's not forget is that Timothy McVeigh bombed the Oklahoma City building, right? On the anniversary of the killings of Waco, the raid of Waco, right? And in the name of that, in the name of, fill in the blank, a tyrannical federal government, right? I mean, this is, again, long kind of history of this. And on, if you, you know, you read folks who, are, who study kind of right-wing militias or right-wing extremism and this kind of stuff, Waco is kind of like part of the like discourse, right? It's like written, if you had like a Bible that was specifically of the kinds of things and the events and the discourses and the happenings and the histories that were, you know, you know, here's the things you need to learn to be a white supremacist in this country, you know, and here's the thing you need to be committed to. Waco is one of these things. Waco you're, is your launching point for a whole attack against kind of the federal government, whole attacks against black people, whole attack, I mean, right down the road, right? The NRA knew this a long time ago, which is where they would kind of fan the flames of extremism anytime, like, you know, there's another mass shooting, right? And they would kind of remember Waco, all this kind of stuff, right? So he goes to Waco, right? And they say, oh, I didn't realize this, blah, 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 whatever. Right, that's bullshit. Right, they they knew exactly what they were doing, and th there's a similarity here. Right, this was the choice, like a similar choice was made by uh, by Ronald Reagan, right, when he was running for president. His launch of his campaign speech was from Philadelphia, Mississippi. Right, why is that important? Right, well, sorry, I just got. Uh, um, Phil saw, uh, uh, that is the place where some Freedom Summer activists, right, trying to kind of get people to register to vote, were murdered, right? And they were murdered, right? And again, this was at a time when there was a strong call for states' rights. Yes, indeed, states' rights. Right? It was the same kind of uh, argument that we've seen uh, throughout the history of kind of white supremacy in this country, right? States' rights, right? States' rights, you got to keep the federal government out, all this kind of stuff. And now they're trying to force us to allow, to, you know, force us to uh, recognize kind of black Americans as equal. And, you know, we, our freedom is about being able to have white freedom and be able to, you know, be able to have our representatives, not theirs, that kind of thing, right? So that's where those activists were murdered. And Reagan, right, uh, obviously Reagan's a much better, was a much better kind of overall communicator than Trump. I mean, he's not as kind of rambly and all this stuff. Reagan went there very purposefully to Philadelphia, Mississippi, to launch his campaign and use the language of states' rights. He didn't make overtly racist arguments like Donald Trump does today, right, because we're in a different historical moment now. 
But he basically piggybacked on that and let everybody know, right? Everybody know in Philadelphia, Mississippi, that he was on their side. And because of how kind of ingrained that moment was then, right? He didn't need to say what that meant. All those folks that he wanted to reach out to, all those kind of right-wing folks, all those people still kind of flying the Confederate flag, knew exactly why he was there and what he was doing. Here, Trump goes to Waco. Right? Another moment of violence. Right? But here, right, that moment of intense violence, again, it was, it was, it was horrific. Right? Nearly 80 people were killed right, by federal troops. I mean, there's, that's horrific, right? This was like a well-armed militia. They were, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff. You go read about it, right? So there's all sorts of problems with it right across, right across the board, right? But that moment of violence, right, when the federal government is seen as killing these people, right, because they, the things went caught on fire and people died in the flames, it was, it was horrific. That is being the rallying call here. At the same time that he said, look, if they indict me, there's going to be problems. There's going to be violence. There's going to be, I use exactly the word violence, but he's, you know, basically let everybody know violence is coming. And then he launches the campaign from Waco, reiterating that kind of, you know, hit the, hit, hitting the activation light for all the kind of uh, stormtroopers that are out there. So this is, you know, this is one of these moments. So we'll see, you know, we'll see. Maybe you'll find out that I'm entirely wrong, that Trump will be shaking his shoes, he'll be appear in court and piss his pants uh, in his orange jumpsuit and be crying and like begging for mercy on the ground, but, if, you know, whatever. I'd be happy to be wrong about that, <laughs> okay? I don't think that's going to happen, right? And apparently, I have not seen this yet, but apparently he just has, he's lost his mind on his, like, you know, like uh, Twitter knockoff uh, truth show, social about the indictment. Um, that's at least what I've heard reported through uh, other social media channels. Uh, what it means lost his mind, I don't know, that's kind of irrelevant. The question is, is, like, what work is he doing with that? That's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in what work does his discourse do? So anyways, um, in other news, other horrific news this week, uh, you know, I'm sure people saw this, right? At the beginning of the week, there was a fire um, in a Mexican detention center, immigration detention center, um, where at least 38 migrants were killed and 27 were injured. Um, it was, uh, yeah, that was uh, pretty devastating. And now there's actually, you know, there's been charges filed now uh, against some of the guards that were there because there's video that has come out since then. You've probably seen some of it. Uh, video that has come out since then, which shows um, in the midst of the fire, the guards did virtually nothing to kind of like help get those people out. They just left them locked up so they could get out from here. Um, there's all the all those kind of like, you know, all the kind of like the, the TikTok of what happened, right? And they say, oh, who started it? And, you know, and what, but, but, but there's all that kind of stuff goes on. But as uh, the, the key thing here is the reason why there's all these migrants, right, in the detention center is because they were seeking asylum in the United States. But if you recall, under Donald Trump, right, it passed the Remain in Mexico like legislation, which basically said that those people who are seeking asylum, right, who are refugees, right, 
are not allowed to enter the United States to claim the asylum. They have to do so from outside the United States. They have to remain in Mexico, and then they'll have their paperwork worked out. Now, like anybody who, like, you know, is worth their salt in immigration law or has been studying immigration for any time was saying at the time, this is just a way of basically further furthering really cruel um, immigration policy, right? The United States has signed on to, like, an international charter, right, that basically says we, you know, accept refugees. Because a refugee is somebody who is fleeing from devastation, <laughs> Right. Whether it's, whether it's threats to their lives from politics, whether it's kind of economic collapse, whatever it might be, right? They're claiming refugee status, right? And th in order to do that, you actually have to go and step on the, the land of the country and say, I would like asylum. And then you go through a process, right? What Trump did is basically, no, you got to stay out of Mexico. And also the news came out this week that, well, okay, technically the... Uh, um, technically, the remaining Mexico policy is going to slowly peter out, but the Biden administration basically is stepping in, is going to reaffirm this kind of remain in Mexico type of policy. Right? And I just want to do a couple things just Will Bunch wrote about in his column on this, right? He said, I wonder how much of the American downplaying of this nightmare in Ciudad Juarez is willful ignorance on our part, a refusal to confront our own shameful role in this episode. That's because the reason that refugees are overrunning the Mexican city, some estimates, uh, some estimates place the number around 20,000. The reason why they're there is that U.S. policy is forcing these migrants to say, stay south of the American border, which is their actual goal. And a little later on, he says, yes, if you are heartbroken by these, over these needless deaths of 38 men seeking to breathe our U.S. air, then join me in telling the White House that Americans won't stand for border policies that are dangerous, inhumane, or go against everything we stand for as a nation of immigrants. And it's that same, and, and that it's the same, whether that president has a D or an R after their name, 100%. That is exactly the issue here. Right. So if you were against what Trump was doing in his immigration policy, right, then you have to be against what the Biden administration is doing. Right. Is that it doesn't matter. Right. Cruelty is cruelty. Inhumanity is inhumanity. Putting people's lives at risk is putting people's lives at risk. Right. And any work that, you know, any work that you do to try to justify Right, a cruel immigration policy by Joe Biden because he's a Democrat, you are no longer doing the service of democracy or doing the service of partisan hackery. It doesn't matter if there's pressures from Republicans and blah, blah. doesn't matter. We don't need to get in inside in his political calculations of running for campaign to see that to, that's his deal. Our deal as citizens of a freaking democracy is to not allow this to be done in our name, right? So there you have it. So there we have it. Hey, Emily. Hey, Nick. Good morning. Good morning. Joining us this morning. So we're going to keep on finding it. That, that, that was just devastating to see the number of people that were killed. Um, and... Well, whatever. Here's another example of 
what it means to actually you do things that are right because they're right, not because they have a D and R next to the name. According to a new report from the Kaiser Family Family Foundation, up to 15 million people are now at risk of losing their health insurance as COVID-era rules that expand Medicaid and CHIP benefits are rolled back. Right? Our, you know, you see basically, there's basically what the deal is, right, is that when people lost their jobs during COVID, right, they basically passed this legislation that would basically allow them to kind of get on Medicaid and then even if they went back to work, right, even if they started earning more than they qualified. I mean, first of all, can we just say that the fact that for some people in this country, the only way that you can actually get health insurance is by being poor? I mean, it, just think about that for a second. I forget what the exact number is, but it's something like, say, $28,000, something like that. If you earn more than $28,000 a year, you get booted off Medicaid if you had it before. I mean, think about that. $28,000, $25,000, something like this. I mean, I, how inhuman are we? Here it is. Oh, no, no. I was, it's even worse than I thought. Here it is. This is uh, from NBC News. Uh, Medicaid eligibility varies by state, but generally people can qualify if their income falls below a certain threshold. In New York, this is the example they're using. So this is probably, it's much different in kind of other states. In New York, for example, a single individual whose income falls under $19,392. So you have to make less than $19,392 in order to qualify for Medicaid. That's annually before taxes, right? Or if you're a married couple whose income is below $26,228 annually, you can qualify the program, right? If you go just a little bit above that cutoff, your benefits are, are cut off. And if you, and you have to re-enroll every year to prove that you qualify. This is what we do in this country, right? This is what we do. The cost of being poor. If we can't take your money, we're going to take your time and your dignity. Right? So what happened during the pandemic, there was a rule that protected people from losing their Medicaid coverage. Right? So basically it said, okay, look, even if you go above that, even if you go above that, you know, that threshold, you're, you, if you were on it, you get to keep it. And that kept people healthy. Right? The recognition was, oh, my God. There's a pandemic, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so people need health care. And we live in a country that doesn't provide everybody health care, unlike everybody else. So we're going to do this little thing, and it helped people. Nick writes, yeah, I'm waiting to get kicked off my parents' health care next year. Yep. Emily Wright says, my daughter uh, has to go on to Obamacare by next week. So we've started sending in cash assist with the premiums. I mean, so, I mean, this is this is what people are, this is what we're all dealing with, right? This is what people have to deal with in this country. 
And so, and this is, you know, and I know that this will kind of register with Nick. I mean, Nick has worked, has worked with, uh, you know, kind of making sure that, you know, kids get free lunches, right? I'm kind of saying that everybody, every kid should get a free lunch, <laughs> right? Basically, so we want to ensure that there's access to food for everybody, right? And during the pandemic, basically what happened is they were expanded this kind of like, you know, school lunch programs that basically said, regardless, regardless of what income threshold you have, if you want a free lunch, if you want lunch and you don't have, you can have it. And what that did, as we talked about on this show, multiple occasions, is it took away the stigma. It was a huge stress reliever for both the kids and their parents. But you didn't have to think about this, that you, if you went up and got a lunch, you could be like your your parent could be a lawyer or your parent could be like struggling to make ends meet. It didn't matter. Because you're there at school to learn and in order to learn most effectively, you need food. Just let's make that part of school, right? But of course, that was where temporary programs and here in Pennsylvania, we allowed that to kind of be taken away. And I know that again, like I'll, you know, kudos to Nick and uh, the folks that he's working with to kind of ensure that uh, try to expand the fight to kind of, you know, for kind of free lunches in schools, lunches for everybody and lunches for school kids. Fantastic. <clears throat> but so that, I mean, th this is kind of what's happening. And it's going to happen this week. And now, and here's the other thing, right? Is like this, this goes back to like the state's rights nonsense. Is like, so that means that depending on where you live, you may or may not get coverage because states can basically have some states have chosen to kind of like opt in to the expand, expanded Medicaid um, coverage under Obamacare, right? But a lot of states are saying no. So in some states, people are going to lose their, their health insurance if, you know, if uh, that they had just yesterday, you know, this is going to happen on Monday, they're going to lose their health insurance, right? And other states, they're going to be able to keep it, all dependent on who got elected at the state level. And our lack of ability as a nation to actually provide for anybody, crazy another happy news right a new study in the journal nature projected deep water currents around antarctica could slow down by 40 percent by 2050 right given kind of current levels and current plants right so they're basically taking let's look at what's happening in the antarctica now let's look at what's on the books of people's commitments to um to commitments and practices of getting to net zero in terms of carbon emissions and let's kind of let's see what this what what happens and they're saying basically this kind of like could slow down the currents around Antarctica. This is also happening, right? That's, so that's in the Southern Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere, this is also happening in the kind of the Atlantic current. You know, basically the, the reason why that you have places like England, right? And even parts of Greenland and Iceland and things like this, why their climates can be, are somewhat moderated by the fact that, you know, we have this warm water that's coming up from the Gulf of Mexico around the um, kind of up the kind of east coast of the United States and around and then it drops down over by England. Right. So you have this kind of warm current that's absolutely critical for, and you know, it keeps you know, circulating. So it keeps circulating. Right. The cold water, the warm water then eventually kind of sinks and goes down and then kind of circulates back around that comes back up and gets warmed up. Right. That's key for migration patterns of, of marine life that is critical for um uh, you know, circulating the nutrients throughout the ocean and all that kind of stuff. But it's also critical for um, the, the climate impacts um, of everyone that's along those areas. So if that slows down, right, it basically means that stuff stops sinking. 
other way around. The current slows down. It means that those nutrients don't get don't get um, circulated, and it basically will increase the amount of uh, of warming. It's pretty messed up. It's pretty messed up. So that's happening. <laughs> Right? I don't know why I'm laughing at that. That's just like, I mean, this is the stuff that, this is the horror of my everyday. This is kind of like what goes on in my brain every day, right? Uh, but, and then, you know, like I said here, this you know, this just blew my, you know, it's like, really? First grade kids. First grade kids in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, they're not going to be able to, they're not going to be allowed to sing Rainbow Land by Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton. Because yes, guess what? New district, new right-wing conservatives on the school board, Yep, passed a controversial issues in the classroom policy, which basically says, no, this is controversial. It's controversial because, you know, I guess Molly Cyrus and Dolly Parton think it's, you know, you should accept gay people too. I think that's basically what their objection is. But maybe, let, let, let's be fair here. Let's talk about some of the proto-radical lyrics that are in that. You know, because, you know, it was pretty sneaky for Miley Cyrus and Dolly Parton to basically introduce these kind of like, you know, uh, communist and kind of like white hating and kind of like, uh, you know, uh, all the worst things you can imagine into the song lyrics. Just listen to, to this, to this, 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 this radical, uh, kind of, you know, this, 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 this rage that comes in this song. Here's some of the lyrics from rainbow land. Living in a rainbow land, the skies are blue and things are grand. Wouldn't it be nice to live in paradise where we're free to be exactly who we are? Let's all dig down deep inside, brush the judgment and fear aside, make wrong things right and end the fight, because I promise ain't nobody going to win. Ooh, hey, no wonder, right? Now you're thinking about it differently. You were thinking like, oh, here's these right-wing extremists that were going to doing, you know, suppression and censorship and all this stuff again. No, now you hear it. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? They're freaking, this is what they're doing. They're kind of like banning first graders to sing a song about, I mean, like, I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I think, I thought these were the kind of values that people just taught their kids, right? You know I mean? In schools, you would take, I mean, respect each other and blah, 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 right? Nope. Because, again, this goes back to that freedom thing I was talking about again, right? Because some people's freedom is dependent upon Right, the ability to dominate and suppress and exploit and 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 render invisible LGBTQ folks, anybody who's not like them, right? And because that some kids might be now now say, oh, my parents say that I should hate all LGBTQ folks, that I should hate trans people, but this song is saying hmm, maybe we should be acceptive of people. <laughs> Right. Oh, and they're going to be accepted of me too. And oh my God. And maybe they might come home and, but, and ask their parents questions like, Hey, you know, at school we learned that we should kind of be kind to each other, but you're telling me I should hate people. That seems to cause some problems in my, my brain. And then you force the parents to justify their hate. Right. I mean, that's really what's all this is all about. It's just pretty freaking nuts. Um, and this is at the first grade level. I mean, I just, it's just uh, unbelievable. Is it unbelievable? No. Well, I guess I'm using that language too. It is not unbelievable. This is precisely the nationwide, this is this is the, the playbook, right? There's a reason why Ron DeSantis is doing this stuff on, in Florida. He's going to use that as a platform to potentially run for president. It's a reason why here in Bucks County that we have these kind of policy after policy after policy, which is being pushed by um, kind of increasingly radical school boards, right? To kind of like censor books and to kind of like prevent, you know, 
a teacher from hanging a pride flag in there to letting to let students know, hey, you're welcome here too, right? No, right? This is all that kind of stuff that's coordinated together. Nuts. And if you need more proof about like where this stuff goes, well, you saw this horrific mass shooting in Nashville this week at this Christian school, right, in Nashville. And again, we'll learn more of the details about what's going on behind it. All the cops will learn more of that story because that's how this stuff unfolds. Um, but it was horrific, right? More kids murdered, teachers murdered, administrators, you know, school personnel murdered, right? By, guess what? An AR-15 and an AR-15 style pistol because they had access to assault weapons that were purchased legally, right? Tennessee has some of the kind of the least restrictive gun laws in the country. This individual who committed this apparently had been kind of known to have some, had been struggling with some kind of mental issues, maybe had been seeing a counselor or something like this, right? And in some states that have stronger gun laws, right? If you are kind of seen as kind of like kind of having kind of some kind of mental health crisis or mental health issues, right, that might prevent you from getting access to these weapons. Not in Tennessee, not in increasingly more states around the country. As the story has been told again and again and again. This is why it's so, we'll talk about this next thing, but, you know, Summer Lee steps up, right, and basically says, yeah, we're, I'm getting behind. I'm a brand new representative here in Washington, D.C. I'm going to co-sponsor the assault weapons ban, right? And I'm going to go to the House floor and I'm going to make the case. I'm not going to hide and pretend and blah, blah, No, no. I'm going there to do work. I'm going there to be an organizer. I'm going there just like she did at the state level. That's what we need. But what does the right wing do? Right? The right wing just does horrific stuff. They use it as an opportunity, right? Because again, because they don't, they, because they are bought and sold to the gun lobby, right? Because they are going to like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go metaphor here because it's going to, it'll just get nasty too quickly. Just as some sampling, right? This is from the Huffington Post. It said, so far right, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? After the attack said, Marjorie Taylor Greene attacked transgender healthcare, asking her congressional Twitter account, quote, how much hormones like testosterone and medications for mental illness was transgender Nashville shooter taking, right? And then she says, everyone can stop blaming guns now. How is that even a thing? Let's say she's taking a bunch that, that she's take or I should say he is taking a bunch of of uh, testosterone and medications for mental illness and things like that. That should have prevented her from having that gun, him for having that gun. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter if the person's transgender. It means that they had access to an assault weapon. And the assault weapon was used to kill them. Does that mean that this person would not have tried to kind of create some violent act if they didn't have that gun? No, it doesn't guarantee that. What it means, though, is those kids and those people would be alive because you don't have a, a weapon of war in the hands of somebody who may be mentally unstable, right? Then Marjorie Taylor Greene says, 
the female Nash see the female Nashville shooter shooter identifies as a man. So should we just blame white men again? Which is one of those uncoherent statements I have. I guess what she's doing there is taking issue with the fact that, oh, in the past, when a kind of like almost all these shooters in the past have been white men, many of whom were kind of like addicted to white supremacist logic, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And so we called attention to that fact. But ultimately it wasn't like that was not what was causing. There was like two issues, right? There's a rise of white supremacy and extremist kind of discourse that's fostering violence. That's that. And there was unlimited access to assault weapons. So what people have been working for gun control, what people have been working for kind of gun reform, basically saying, take the weapon of like mass shooting and destruction and kind of death out of the equation. Why? Well, because you've got this or this or this or this, which is kind of fostering violence and you're giving access for people to carry out their kind of freaking fantasies. Horrific as they are. And then, of course, Donald Trump Jr., that freaking, like, idiot of a human being, comes out. And he says, rather than talking about guns, we should be talking about lunatics pushing their gender-affirming bullshit on our kids. <clears throat> Guess what? To use his language, the gender-affirming bullshit is not the thing that killed those people at that school. It was the gun, idiot. So that's what we see. That's the trajectory, right? This is the pattern, right? And yet still they do this. The, the, the thing that, like, if it was just some kind of innocuous, they said they want everybody to hate potato chips, blame the potato chips instead, hate potato chips, ban potato chips and all that kind of stuff, it would still suck for people who love potato chips, right? But you're not inviting or providing an excuse for people to go assault trans people. to basically have a justification to carry out violence on other people, which is what these people do. Gender-affirming care didn't kill those kids. The guns killed those kids. The laws that allowed access for virtually anybody to assault weapons, weapons of war, weapons of mass murder, that's what killed everybody in there. Anyways, we've got a good show. Still still ahead here. Um, we have. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happening here in Pennsylvania, and then we'll close out with a little uh, fanboy stuff on the new Dungeons & Dragons movie, which I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, yes and yes. All right, so this is Kevin Mahoney, um, creator and founder of Ragey Chicken. I want to remind you that you can help support the show becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash rc press you can help the show right now if you're on our youtube channel if you're not there already if you're on our youtube channel or you listen to this podcast share it out to folks right make sure you like the stream make sure you subscribe make sure that you uh kind of put in your comments let everybody know what you like about the show that is what you can do to help other people find this right and that is really kind of like you know the the kind of the meat and potatoes as it were of the work that we do here. So thank you everybody. Head on over to patreon.com slash RC press, become a patron today. We'll be right back after this quick break.
Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1883. That was the day that cowboys went out on strike. The cowboys worked in the Texas panhandle. Increasingly, the ranch land in the region was coming under the control of large corporate ownership. Cowboys saw their way of life changing. Work as a cowboy had always been hard. They often slept under the stars or in a tent. They worked long hours at tough physical jobs. At the end of a long day, all they had to look forward to was a simple meal of camp food. But it had been the practice that cowboys could retrieve part of their pay in newly birthed calves. Some cowboys were also allowed to round up unbranded cattle. In these ways, they could create small herds for themselves and get a stake at independence. But the new corporate owners clamped down on this practice. They also placed restrictions against cowboys gambling, carrying weapons, and drinking. Seasoned cowboys from three ranches gathered to plan a response to the changes. They penned a letter and sent copies to five large ranches. It read, in part, We, the undersigned cowboys of the Canadian River, do by these presents agree to bind ourselves into the following obligations. First, that we will not work for less than $50 per month. 24 cowboys signed the letter, but the ranchers were able to hire scab labor. The strike ended in defeat. Change had come to the panhandle and not in a good way. I think I'd rather ride Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. Oh, you know, one thing I forgot to kind of mention earlier, I, I was I always, you know, think about that as I'm going, is that uh, I want to apologize for folks who have been uh, watching our YouTube stream for a bit for the past couple of weeks. Um, there's been, it's really interesting. So, I, you know, one of the things, I think I mentioned this a few weeks back, I got some, did some upgrades in our studio. So I've got this, uh, this pretty awesome uh, kind of like single piece of equipment now. Um, for the podcasting. It's called the Rode Podcaster Pro. Um, it's freaking awesome. It's just, uh, it's 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 going to enable us to do a whole bunch of other stuff too as well. Um, but uh, but I'll get to that another time. But, um, but in making that transition away from this kind of really, you know, like duct tape hacked together uh, studio that, system that I had be- before then, there's been just kind of some inconsistencies on our sound. And um, I think I have it figured out today. Um, I think I finally figured out what was, what was the reason why say all my levels look right here, except when I, when we're broadcasting or we're streaming to our YouTube channel, like say I'm interviewing somebody and their voice is perfectly fine, but my voice is low or the, or the other way around. Luckily, in most cases, I believe it's been, my voice has been the one that's been low, not the person I'm interviewing. Um, but I think I got that figured out. It had to do with, I, I'm pretty sure it had to do with the volume level, volume output level on my computer. So even though I was looking, I was controlling volume output from the uh, the mixer, right? Um, my computer apparently had, there's, there's, 
has some sort of influence over there. And it's really weird because if, if I if I were to take the tracks directly recorded to the mixer, right, or if I were to take the track, um, if I record separately, that wouldn't happen. But something about it going to our streaming software, uh, which is OBS, we use OBS for streaming software, um, something in there was causing an issue. So hopefully this is going to fix things and hopefully that you're not, we're not going to run into that really discrepancy. But if you listen to the podcast, you're, you don't even know what the hell I'm talking about because in a podcast, I'm able to take, you know, take tracks and kind of making sure that they're all at the same level. Although I will say on this last podcast, um, one of the things I thought I had fixed it in the last podcast. Um, but it turns out that my levels were too high at that point. So, um, even though it didn't sound like that on the, on the stream, it sounded, certainly sounded like that on the podcast where, um, you could tell it was clipping some of the um, high end that the levels were, were spiking a little too much. But um, so I apologize for those inconsistencies. Um, and I appreciate your patience as we kind of uh, kind of work our way towards, uh, I don't know, whatever podcast perfection, where we are. I don't know. <laughs> so here we go. So anyways, here in Pennsylvania, um, uh, you know, this is look, there's a reason why uh, that that we started working with uh, Level Field uh, to basically launch a community rooted pack to do have a, a, at least a little small as it will be impact on uh, school board races here in Bucks County um, had everything to do with uh, what Paul Martino right that kind of you know multi million dollar Paul Martino did during the last um, school board election campaign right through his back to school pack basically um, kind of dumped. Uh, probably over $500,000 in Pennsylvania school board races. Uh, he was dropping $10,000 a pop um, behind slates of candidates that promised uh, basically not to enforce COVID restrictions. Um, and uh, that's what they did. Um, and in that process, of course, those people who were arguing against COVID restrictions or masking or all that were also the people that were kind of like, you know, tapped into and kind of like, you know, piped into the conspiracy theories around COVID. They were QAnon people. They were there. And Martino basically claims that, oh, we didn't know that. We just kind of, we just, we just was one issue, whatever, right? Um, but they dumped money behind that, got a bunch of QAnon people or QAnon adjacent people elected to school boards um, and um, helped kind of create really hostile and kind of uh, like horrific uh, conditions in our school boards, right? Where, uh, we saw them launch, you know, the anti-CRT stuff. We saw them launch the now the you know anti-LGBTQ stuff, right? And he's all all in on all of this stuff, right? So his back to school board pack. You remember he was interviewed in the New York Times um, as a two-part series of uh, the Daily, which is the New York Times Daily podcast, um, and the Daily, and it was like part one, part two of the school board wars. And part two, they interviewed Martino, and Martino was very cagey about it at the time, but basically said, "Ah, oh, now that I've built this thing." Now I'm going to see what I can do with it, right? Well, apparently it's clear uh, what they're going to do with it. Um, so um, I'm really happy to see Maddie Hanna from the Philadelphia Inquirer um, started digging in on this um, and trying to get out ahead of it. Now, Martino, if you recall, uh, he just founded uh, a new sports bar near Rittenhouse Square called Bankroll Sports Bar, appropriately titled, right? <clears throat> so, you know, he's just dumping in some money into there. But his, his wife, right, is uh, Arati Martino, uh, she's a Google engineer, and she's going to be running now as a Republican uh, for a seat on the board in Central Bucks County, right? So you know money is going to be flowing nonstop there, and, you know, she's basically going to have an unlimited budget, right? Because you're allowed to spend your own money, 
right? And technically, her own money is also, you know, she and her husband are spending that. You know, I assume that's going to be, you know, part of their bank account. So whatever. Um, but, you know, she reached out to or, um, um, uh, Maddie Hanna reached out to her to talk about. She didn't kind of wouldn't talk. Uh, Martino wouldn't talk. Um, but we know a few things, right? So this um, <clears throat> this new pack or this kind of expanded pack is um, now saying that on their website now that it says this. It's, it's, it's got a broader focus, right? It is not strictly just about, hey, we want to make sure our schools stay open, blah, 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 like to try to before. No, now it is explicitly partisan. Right. And it's called the back to school, back to school USA pack. And it's, and this is what it says on their website. It says, we are going to be quote, taking the fight directly to the liberal teachers unions and special interest groups that are responsible for indoctrinating our children. There you go. So they are going a whole hog in on continuing to fan the flame on these extremism that has been happening in our school boards. Right. The head of the, um, this pack, right. The point is Clarice Schillinger. Right, so if you remember, she clearly she previously worked for the back to school PA pack, right, and she ran in the Republican primary for re- lieutenant governor. Um, she's that now their executive director, right? And she was the she was a person like to the right of Martino or a uh, right of um, Mastriano, right? So she was like extremist from the get go there, right? Now Schillinger did kind of respond in part there. So she said, "quote I'm told," um, uh, Maddie Hanna said, "quote." The, the PAC plans to invest in the races across the United States where the public school unions are backing candidates. The system is set within our democracy, should not be owned by one side or the other, she says, right? Should be determined by the support we get by for concerned citizens across the country, right? All the blah, 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 blah stuff that you can, you can say. Here's another piece of information, right? From the article again, quote, records show that the PAC, which was registered as a federal super PAC in June 2022, took in $58,000 last year, including $25,000 from Jeffrey Yass, the mainline billionaire investor and school choice proponent, anti-public school guy, in other words. In 2021, Back to School PA received $145,000 from um, PACs that received significant funding from Yass. So this is another place for the richest man in Pennsylvania to dump more money, right? And I'm sure Martino absolutely knows this. So the fact that they took in $58,000 last year in a year that wasn't really super highly charged, that means that the money is going to be going in there heavily, right? As we move closer and closer to 2024. And my guess is that we're going to see that kind of uh, activated in this kind of um, municipal elections, school board elections happening this year, right? So now the PAC is now donating money to um, other school board races and other places across the country. The other piece of interesting information from this, I said this at the top of the show too as well, but Back to School USA PAC is now, it's planning to host a fundraiser on April 7th. And where were they going to do it? You got it, Mar-a-Lago, right? So that tells you where it's aligned, right? And it was going to be held with Project Veritas founder, James O'Keefe, who was removed from the leader of the right-wing group that secretly films people to expose uh, liberal bias, bias. So remember, he was—he's one of the people that was behind the sinking of Acorn, right? Which got out, basically helped getting people, kind of uh, low-income people, registered to vote, right? Um, he made up this huge story, made up this whole thing, kind of selectively edited this kind of behind-the-scenes kind of uh, reporting, um, right? And it was all fine. You know, again, everything he produces, it gets this big firestorm. Oh my God, here you go, proves that we we're saying these people are blah 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 blah, right? 
these people are horrible. These people are lying to us. These people are trying to do this. And it turns out it's all selectively edited and it comes out later. He's brought up on charges because it turns out that he's just been lying about stuff and mis misinformed people. But ultimately, ACORN as an organization was destroyed. And he's done this with other organizations too as well. At the invite to the event, um, to that, um, um, <clears throat> uh, at the invite to the event, it said, quote, that, that, that the uh, raising of funds will be aimed at flipping woke school boards nationwide. And it listed a host committee that included former Mississippi Governor uh, Phil Bryant, U.S. Representatives Mark, Mark Alford of Missouri, Dale Strong of Alabama, Sheriff Mark Lamb of Arizona. Right? So it tells you a little bit about this. Now, again, because of what's happening with Trump right now, uh, Martino did kind of post uh, uh, the PAX website, um, or the event was just removed from the PAX website, I should say, over the weekend. Um, because, you know, Martin was saying that all events at Mar-a-Lago were postponed recently, uh, but the PAX experts will hold the event in the future. So it's not going to happen on April 7th, apparently, as it originally planned, right, um, because of, you know, the Trump indictment and all that stuff. So here we are. Um, I do kind of strongly recommend um, that you do check this out um, because um it tells you a lot about what Martino um, is going after. Um, it talks about, you know, he's coming out going all in on this anti-LGBTQ stuff, calling it porn. Um, he's basically going out and kind of mocking kind of transgender folks. Um, and it's all done within this kind of language of nicety about like, oh, we're just trying to protect our kids, which again, right? We've had Alyssa Bowen on the show multiple times. We showed like what the history of that discourse is and why that discourse is the marker of this kind of national kind of well-funded agenda um, by the far right. All right. So there you go. So buckle up, everybody. Uh, Martino is definitely going to be all in here. Um, he's right here in Bucks County. He's going to have direct influence on our school board elections and in the 2024 election. Um, so if we weren't already prepared to kind of go toe to toe, um, we got to do it now. Anyways, down in D.C., newly elected Representative Summer Lee wasted no time getting her voice heard. Yep, she was a co-sponsor of the assault weapons ban in 2023, or for 2023, and she took it to the House floor this week and just tore it up, right? Pulling no punches, basically calling out Republicans, urging them to vote for this stuff, right? Um, and that happened at the time when, um, I don't know about you, um, but if you have kids, if you're listening, you have kids who are in school, you may have gotten a notification from your superintendent or a school board or something like this um, about threats of violence to your school this weekend. And why is that? Well, that has to do in part because um, this past uh, weekend, uh, there were, uh, for example, two schools in Pittsburgh, two Pittsburgh high schools. They were locked down for active shooter threats, and which turned out to be part of a larger hoax. The same thing happened at University, uh, University of Pittsburgh, right? And as part of this larger hoax, it was taking place across the state, right? Um, and what I thought was interesting here, too, as well, um, to give you some sense of maybe who might be behind this, Central Catholic, right, and the Oakland's, uh, Oakland Catholic High Schools in Pittsburgh were um, two of the ones that were targeted, uh, that received calls with, um, that were threatening, that there was, th or saying that there was somebody in the school with a gun, right? So my guess, if I had to put my money behind, like, who's behind all this stuff, probably probably those folks who are basically want to capitalize on the shooting, you know, right-wing folks who want to capitalize on the shooting in Nashville by, 
like saying that, oh my God, these mass shooters are now coming for Christian schools, right? To make sure they shore up that base. That'd be my guess, but whatever. I mean, I, I, this is conjecture on my part. Um, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, basically, uh, Summer Lee basically went, uh, went right to the floor, basically making it clear, told uh, House of Representatives, imploring Republicans to stop putting their politics before children's lives, right? And she talked about kind of uh, imagine what it would be like. Like, she says, like, imagine, imagine you're a teacher hysterically crying to the dispatcher a minute after you heard the news. You realize the lock, the lock on your door is broken. You start building barricades with desks and chairs. You ask your students to protect themselves with whatever means possible from the metal rod um, in the closet to the acid chemicals in the physics lab. Imagine you're a parent and you receive that phone call or text. Your heart stops. Your world freezes and your mind starts to race. And she goes on, right? Talk about active shootings, hoaxes, evacuations, chill. This is no way for our kids to live. Absolutely summer. <clears throat> the fact is, you know, look, this, she did this at the state level too as well, right? When she went to Harrisburg, right? She was like go, not going there to kind of like go along to get along. She was there to kind of make change. Um, and so I'm so glad that she'll be joining up with the kind of um, the squad there in uh, D.C. and uh, kind of bringing her voice to the table. So all good on you. Um, <clears throat> this week also, um, this is going to be, like I said, at the top of the, uh, uh, the first part of the show, we've got major climate stuff that is going on. Um, we need to uh, we need to stop it. We need to stop the emissions. We need to kind of do something if we want to have some kind of livable future. Come on, folks. So uh, this week, there was a, a letter that was sent to Shapiro. Now, Governor Shapiro has said that uh, he is committed to getting to Pennsylvania to zero, net zero emissions by uh, 2050, right? Um, that's nice, right? It might see like, oh, we got some time left, right? We got, okay, 25, 26, 27 years, right? Uh, 26 and a half years to get there. <clears throat> it might seem like it's a lot of time. Everything that we've learned up until now said that is not a lot of time. Right to shift our emphasis, our shift, our reliance on on fossil fuels is not something that is going to happen just overnight. It's going to take time. It needs to happen immediately. And our Republicans in the state house have increasingly been kind of attacking climate policy. And so, uh, one of the things they're going after in particular was uh, Pennsylvania's um, very late and kind of feels like stumbling commitment to join um, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative or the RGGI. <clears throat> right. This is, again, it's a market-based thing, kind of you're trading carbon credits, you're doing a cap-and-trade kind of approach to it, but whatever, it's better than zero, right? Okay, we'll take this. And because of the lack of action at the federal government, it was states around us that decided we need to join together and to tackle it together as a region, right? And Pennsylvania was, of course, was, was invited to join that because it's adjacent to New Jersey and to Maryland and to, you know, New York and, you know, all these other states that were part of it. Um, Pennsylvania was reluctant to join, uh, Hemmen and Hahn, blah, 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 but they did. Um, and there must be some sense that, uh, that there's going to be pressure on Shapiro to kind of back out of that, right? Um, and we're going to see what Shapiro's real commitments are to climate stuff um, here. I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about his commitments, given uh, the fact he seems to be fairly cozy with, uh, with some big money. So uh, we shall see. Um, but in that, they said... Again, the letter says, as you know, we believe that state's participation in the RGGI is an important component of an overall plan to achieve your goals. RGGI is the most effective single action for Pennsylvania to tackle the climate crisis while improving health, public health, creating jobs, and providing for clean, reliable, and affordable energy alternatives. 
It will allow Pennsylvania to secure its energy independence and keep energy costs low for families. Right? It is no secret that Pennsylvania's energy sector is a major contributor to pollution, emitting millions of tons of harmful pollutants annually and causing significant long-term damage to the environment and to the health of Pennsylvanians. In 2021, Pennsylvania's power sector alone emitted nearly 85 million tons of carbon dioxide and thousands of tons of other harmful pollutants. The presence of these pollutants in our air, water, and soil exacerbates the climate crisis and increases risks of illness, respiratory issues, asthma attacks, heart attacks, <clears throat> and premature death, particularly in disadvantaged and frontline communities. There is no lower cost way to, introduce, um, to reduce emissions than RGGI. RGGI limits carbon emissions through a binding, declining limit on how much power plants can emit, and the numbers show that the initiative improves, even saves lives. A study of RGGI participating states over the five-year period has shown that RGGI made a positive impact on public health. RGGI improved the air quality and decreased um, pollution, leading to hundreds of lives saved and thousands more avoiding um, increased risks um, for illness, and it goes on. So they are just urging him to stay the course and keep committed to this. Um, so we shall see. So keep your eye on this. This coalition um, that um, <clears throat> was kind of put together was uh, pretty pretty amazing, right? There were uh, um, uh, obviously environmental groups, but there were faith-based organizations. There were business organizations um that are all joining together to basically saying um together we need to stop this um and shapiro we need you to stay the course and stay on board right so let's hope that happens let's hope that happens um <clears throat> also we saw big news in temple right um the temple university president uh jason wingard has now stepped down um there are uh this is going to be interesting to see what the story, uh, how this story develops over time. Because right now, it's just about reporting was stepping down because there had been ongoing complaints about his approach um, to the university, right? Kibbutz said, I wanted to make, you know, Temple kind of a shining star and I want to make Temple, I want to improve its like, uh, what was the word he used? Um, what did he say? I forget the word he used now. Oh, here it is. Wingard worked to, this, these are, you know, this is right out of a press release, right? Uh, worked to enhance the value of the university, right, uh, since joining in 21. That was the kind of like like his thing, enhance the value of the university. But what that means, like anybody who's, who's, who's worked in any industry for long enough knows that when somebody starts talking in this kind of vague language and enhance the value of X, usually what that means is that workers are going to pay the price, Right? Because really what they're talking about is brand. They're talking about branding. They're talking about a public relations kind of initiative and all that stuff. Not that that can't have an impact, but usually that's done on the backs of workers. And that is clearly what was going on in Temple. That's why the faculty union was pissed off about it. That's why we had this kind of serious graduate uh, graduate student union uh, a strike uh, at Temple, right? Where this guy basically was playing hardball, anti-union tactics, kind of or classic hired kind of anti-union lawyers in order to kind of try to kind of, you know, break the strike, all that kind of stuff, right? <clears throat> and then supposedly while he was trying to enhance the value of the university, there was a, uh, a poll that was done by Temple News, right? Found that 92% of over 1,000 Temple students who participated in a recent poll, right, um, said they disapproved of his performance. So this was kind of up and down, right? Um, so, whatever. 
People said he had his orientation towards the money, had his orientation towards the corporate connections, his orientation towards that kind of stuff, and not orientation towards making sure that the um, Temple's actual education was as best as possible. Now, someone has been in the state system of higher education. We're familiar with this for a long, long time. Um, that that has been the tactic has been to kind of uh, like do PR, build nice buildings, say nice words, um, while all the time kind of wrecking the workforce. So there it is. But he's going to step down. Now, what sucks about this in some ways, right, is that, um, well, I don't understand they sucks, but the, the fact is, like, the guy was, like, um, uh, Topic University's first African-American president, right? And it sucks that this, is, this had to be the guy who was that, right? Because you, you know what some people are going to say, so you know, what the writer's going to say and all this other kind of stuff. It's going to foster these kind of, you know, all sorts of shit around this. So I just, I just hope that doesn't happen. But he's gone, um, and according to the faculty, students, staff, graduate students, sayonara. <laughs> See ya, buddy. See ya. So anyways, I got one last thing for you today. Uh, this weekend, the uh, Dungeons & Dragons movie, Honors Among Thieves, hits the big screen. Yes, indeed. So um, back in the days, we used to do a segment it was called Last Call where we talk about beer and culture and stuff like this. And now I just kind of tend to tack it on to our second segment, um, you know, and part because I'm doing this alone most of the times and so on. But uh, uh, I am really excited about this. And look, I mean, I would have gone to see this movie regardless because just like a whatever D&D head that I am. Um, but uh, just because I love that, right? Um, but uh, it's actually getting pretty good reviews, right? I mean, I have to say that, um, you know, it's not like it's, it's called, I'll just read you for, just, just for example, this is on CNN entertainment. Okay. Um, this is like, you know, I'll just read you the opening couple paragraphs. So you get a sense of what people are saying about it. So game on exceeding any reasonable expectations, right? Dungeons and dragons honor among thieves turns out to be a whole lot of fun serving up what amounts to a smart alecky version of Lord of the Rings. that doesn't require knowledge of the underlying game. Employing ample special effects wizardry in the service of what's basically a comedy is a bold stroke, but even if it takes a little too long to play, this lighthearted adventure looks like a winner, <laughs> right? So there you have it. Um, the film stars uh, Chris Pine, uh, Michelle Rodriguez um, is also in the film. Uh, Hugh Grant is has a kind of, uh, I, I believe his is, is more of a minor role, but you know he's in the, there too as well. Um, Justin, Justice Smith is in there, um, as playing a shape-shifting Doric, right? Uh, for, so it looks like it's going to be, um, uh, it looks like it's going to be, it's going to be fun. Uh, originally, uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Re Reggie Jean Page, right? If you remember him from Bridgerton, right? He's in here. Um, that guy's an awesome actor. So anyways, um, I'm looking for the fun, right? I'm going to see, and hopefully, uh, kind of doing a little suspension of, um, the hellscape that faces us if we don't capital climate change of the kind of the people that are fostering kind of anti-trans hate and kind of wrecking our schools just for you know, just a short period of time is going to go and I'm just going to, uh, make good on some, some D and D hope. Um, the other thing is I was, we were hoping to play this weekend. Uh, that was going to be like a whole D and D weekend, but, uh, I don't know if that, if the, if the game part, uh, is going to happen. So, uh, I just, I've got so much stuff to do. So that's how it is. But anyways, I'm going to try to make room for this movie. That's what I've got to say. So love to hear what other people think about it. Again, I'll put out my call. I'm just going to keep on doing this. I, I, oh, I, I'll just say this as another, as a kind of related connection. So 
on our Patreon site, um, there's a there was a post I put up a, a little bit, uh, kind of announcing where uh, or I I should say, uh, the Imperial We. Um, that I am going to uh, start adding in some Patreon content. Uh, one of them is going to be called Dungeon, Dungeon of Dragons is Dead. Um, and it's just going to be kind of little kind of D&D type of talk type stuff. And what I kind of what I thought I'd hope I'd do is what is one of the, I, I guess something I noticed, right, as I was trying to learn how to, how to, how to uh, be a dungeon master, DM or GM for the first time, right, uh, for my kids and, other stuff is like I had played before I had never I had never DM'd or GM'd so there I was um trying to figure out how to do this and so I was doing what most people do right watching YouTube videos and like what are some suggestions and what are things like this and I saw some great folks play and a lot of the people who were you know putting out those videos and thank you thank you thank you for all the people who are putting out that content but they were experienced players right you know giving kind of like recommendations to new players right Uh, which was super valuable for me what I just thought I'd do is like, well, what would it look like to kind of just have like a kind of talk along, right? So basically talk about that process of coming to this for the first time as a new, as a new GM, um, talk about how the game and some of the things that are happening in the game, um, things that I'm learning, right? Things that are interesting and just to have a little bit of fun with it, right? So that was, that's, was there. So that post is up there that is still in the works. I've got a, um, but my, my goal for that, just so everybody knows, if you've been waiting for that content to come out on our Patreon, um, is that is that I wanted to get a few sessions kind of um, under our belts first and then kind of start kind of like uh, kind of going back and um, kind of narrating through each one of the kind of each one of those sessions as kind of a separate episode. Um, but I wanted to get a sense of where things were going first before I started kind of jumping in Um um, just because that would make it could make it really kind of erratic, or I would forget from time. So this will allow me to kind of do some reflective and thinking about um, um, what we're doing. Um, and I'll tell you, one of the best things about it is is anybody who's uh, who's written content um, uh, about being a dungeon master, or people who you know, whatever it's a podcast, or if it's a YouTube channel that kind of talks gives advice to kind of DMs or new DMs, they'll all say is like the one thing, that the best part of the game right, are the players, right? Uh, the best part of the game. So you're basically creating the story in the background and all this stuff, but the best part of the game are the players and they're going to do things um, that are completely unexpected, right? That will just kind of like, you know, if you have a, like a strict plan of what you want to do, they will derail those plans, right? So I took that to kind of the heart, thank God, right? From when I first started, because I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to do that, right? I'm just going to kind of be open to this. I'm not going to try to plan too specifically ahead. I'm going to provide, you know, for each session. And sure enough, the very first um, session that we had, it was like what I thought was going to be this like really kind of like short kind of opening kind of like scene, if you will, changed like the entire party composition, changed the way like what we did. And like, and it, it just introduced like so much fun and joy and levity and like all, into the, into the, um, into the game already from like, that was from episode one. And then, you know, my kids, my niece, my, my brother-in-law continue to surprise me the choices they make each step of the way. It's like being part of a kind of collective and collaborative storytelling effort um, it is so awesome, right? It is really a, a wonderful experience. So anyways, that's the kind of energy I wanted to bring to that stuff on our Patreon. So as we went, so that will be coming up, right? Um, when, you know, I feel like, okay, I've got enough stuff to go forward. I'll probably going to do another video soon talking a little bit about some of the things I'm talking about now. 
Um, so that'll be coming up. The other thing I'm 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 playing around with a little bit, um, and we're going to see if I can uh, if the if time permits. Right, it might be something that I wait into the summer to do this, but. Um, I mentioned today on today's show that book, um, Freedom's Dominion, that I'm reading, right? And I thought it might be just cool to have like a little short segment, right? Not kind of like an entire show, but, you know, just kind of say like, you know, like reading list or something like this. And that each book that I kind of, um, I'm, I finish and that is, is interesting, right? Um, for some of the projects that we're doing here or, you know, um, even if it's more, you know, fiction too as well. But just to hop on there and kind of like talk a little about those books, make rec reading recommendations and so on. Talk a little about some of the things I'm planning to read coming up. Um, just as kind of like, you know, a part of, you know, building part of that community um, on Patreon. As a reminder too as well, that Dungeons and Dragons and Dad, uh, the way it'll work is that it, um, it's not like, it'll launch first for our patrons, right? So that if you're a patron of the show, um, it'll first get posted. You'll get to see it first, but then it'll eventually open up to everybody, right? Because I don't want it to be like the kind of thing in order if you want to jump on that, you have to become a patron. I, I know everybody doesn't have those capabilities, um, but I do want to have just a little extra little content there for our patrons. Um, depending on how all that stuff goes, depending where things go kind of in the next kind of year, um, what I would love to do is use that as also space to kind of, you know, put together games and things. Uh, I'll let you know a little secret. Uh, actually, well, yeah, what the hell is that? Um, I, I'll probably, this is one of the things I was talking about going to do on the Patreon too, as just talking about some ideas of betting around. One of the things I thought would be really fun to do, right, is to do kind of like a little kind of summer campy kind of thing, right, where um, playing Dungeons and Dragons, right, um, and how I've thought about what you can do in collaborative storytelling, right? Especially in a framework like Dungeons and Dragons um, is that it allows us to kind of like grapple with kind of issues and problems and things like this in our world as it is, but in this kind of other realm. That's what I've always loved about science fiction and fantasy stuff is that, you know, it's particularly science fiction where you're kind of taking tendencies and threads that are in our culture as it is and projecting them out. But it's also true of, of really good fantasy too. It's like, you're actually working on and kind of like echoing and working out in different ways um, some of the issues that are in our present. And I think about that as I'm designing my own world, right? Because this this summer I'm going to be launching uh, a, like a smaller campaign, probably with uh, some like smaller things with my with uh, with my crew um, on the world that I'm creating, right? Um, which is kind of cool. And so I thought that oh, that would be kind of fun right, to do if I, you know, if this works out. So this is why I keep on asking folks if, look, if you know people that are interested in playing, right, um, if you know people that um, are maybe not be familiar with the game and uh, or are kind of are, you know, okay players or don't mind working with like a, like a GM who's, who's really new and still learning, um, I'd love to play, right? Um, I just think it would be a good social moment where, um, you know, we could have fun, engage some kind of kind of cool ideas and kind of issues um, in a fun manner and then move on from there. So that's one of the things I'm thinking about. Um, and I've got some ideas of who I'm going to talk to about doing that um, because you'd have to do more than one, um, no one person. The cool thing too, is there's a place in uh, East Greenville. Uh, it's called the Chibi Cafe. My daughter loves this place. Um, 
they actually have, uh, you can reserve rooms there, right, for like D&D plays. So you can actually go and actually have, sit down, you have access, you know, you get discounts on stuff kind of from there, but you actually play your game kind of in that space. We're probably going to do that at least once this summer just with, with, uh, with my crew as a way, you know, just kind of like a fun thing to do. So there you have it. Anyways, that's how I'll close it. So that's some of the stuff that's kind of coming up, some of the things that I'm thinking about on the Patreon site. Um, and, I, I, again, thanks out to all of our Patreons. Uh, uh, Patreons. And you know what? I don't thank enough, right? Because we have, there's been people who have been supporting the show and they did it before we ever went, um, ever got on Patreon. There's people who've been supporting the show through our, through our, um, or our Podbean members, right? Who um, support our podcast through there. There are people who have been members of the show when we just had a, like a PayPal hookup and they keep on, they keep on keeping on um, and have kind of joined and continue to support the show. So my, my continued always thanks goes to all of you uh, for your continued support and for all those folks who got going to help share the show. Um, I, I've mentioned this before. We, there's been weird issues on Twitter. Uh, if you talk to anybody who's, who does the kind of work that we do, um, they're finding the same thing. It's just, um, because of what Musk has basically, Elon Musk has done to Twitter is that what had been part of our pattern of getting our show out and getting um, um, getting other people's eyes on our show, kind of reaching out to new communities and stuff like that, it, it, it's, it's not happening in the same even way. Um, and it's only been because the people who are committed to the show, who have who are, are listened or watch the show and share the content that we've been able to kind of maintain our, our viewership and listenership. As a matter of fact, it's, it's kind of gone up, which has been pretty awesome. Um, but it's, it's been more work, right. To make sure that our stuff is showing up in people's feeds. Um, and, and frankly, there's not an easy answer for what to do with that, which is one of the reasons why I want to try to build up some stuff over on Patreon um, so that there's going to be, you know, we have a little bit more control over making sure that people who are, are supporting the show that are interested in the show are, get those notifications. So, Anyway, all right, everybody, this is uh, Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder of Raging Chicken. I want to thank you all for tuning in as usual. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Emily, for your comments and participation and kind of being here today as we went live. Um, wishing you a fantastic weekend ahead of you. And uh, let's hope that uh, spring comes and with it comes like some nice warm weather, some opportunities to get outside and uh, <clears throat> take our communities back. You know what I'm saying? All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. It's Kevin Mahoney, creator and founder. Head on over to patreon.com slash rcpress. Become a patron today. Price of good beer once a month. Help support this show and everything that we do. I am psyched this week. See ya! I guess I'll fly away.